The Butterfly Lion Written by Michael Morpurgo The background of the story is Bertie rescues an orphaned white lion cub from the African world. They are inseparable until Bertie is sent to boarding school far away in England and the lion is sold to a circus. Bertie swears that one day they will see one another again. But the butterfly lion ensures that their friendship will never be forgotten. Let us listen to the chapters to know how the events unfold. Chapter 1 Chill Blades and Semolina Pudding Butterflies live only short lives. They flutter and flutter for just a few glorious weeks and then they die. To see them, you have to be in the right place at the right time. And that's how it was. When I saw the butterfly lion, I happened to be in just the right place at the right time. I didn't dream him. I didn't dream any of it. I saw him. Blue and shimmering in the sun, one afternoon in June, when I was young, a long time ago. But I don't forget. I mustn't forget. I, I was ten and away at boarding school in deepest Wiltshire. I was far from home and I didn't want to be. It was a diet of Latin and stew and rugby and detentions and cross-road country runs and chillblains, and marks and squeaky beds, and semolina pudding. And then there was Bachelor Bemont, who terrorized and tormented me, so that I lived every waking moment of my life in dread of him. I had often thought of running away, but only once ever plucked up the courage to do it. I was homesick after a letter from my mother. Basha Bemont had cornered me in the boot room and smeared black shoe polish in my hair. I had done badly in the spelling test and Mr. Carter had stood me in the corner with a book on my head all through the session. His favorite torture. I was more miserable than I ever had been before. I picked up the plaster in the wall and determined there and then that I would run away. I took off the next Sunday afternoon. With any luck, I wouldn't be missed till supper. And by that time, I'd be home, home and free. I climbed the fence at the bottom of the school park. Behind the trees, when I couldn't be seen, then I ran for it. I ran as if bloodhounds were after me, not stopping till I was through, in a sense, breach and onto the road beyond. I had my escape all planned. I would walk to the station. It was only five miles or so and catch the train to London. Then I take the underground home. I just walk in, in and tell them 
that I was never ever going back. There wasn't much traffic, but all the same, I turned up the collar of my raincoat so that no one could catch a glimpse of my uniform. It was beginning to rain now. Those heavy hard drops, that means there's more of the same on the way. I crossed the road and ran along the wide grass, verged under the shelter of the trees. Beyond the grass verge was a high brick wall, much of it covered in ivy. It stretched away into the distance, continuous as far as the eye could see, except for a massive arched gateway at the bend of the road. A great stone lion bestrode the great way. As I came closer, I could see he was rotting in the rain, his lips curved, his teeth bared. I stopped and stared at him for a moment. That was when I heard a car slowing down behind me. I did not think twice. I pushed open the iron gate, darted through and flattered myself behind the stone pillar. I watched the car until it disappeared round the bend. To be caught would mean a caning, four strokes, maybe six, across the back of the knees. Worse, I would be back at school, back to detentions, back to Bachelor Vermont. To go along the road was dangerous, too dangerous. I would try to cut across the country to the station. It would be longer that way, but far safer. Chapter 2 Strange Meeting I was still deciding which direction to take when I heard a voice from behind me. Who are you? What do you want? I turned. Who are you? She asked again. The old lady who still stood before me was no bigger than I was. She scrutinized me from under the shadow of her dripping straw hat. She had piercing dark eyes that I did not want to look into. She didn't think it would rain. She said her voice gentler. Lost, are you? I said nothing. She had a dog on a leash at her side. A big dog. There was an ominous growl in his throat and his hackles were up all along his back. She smiled. The dog says, you're on private property. She went on pointing her stick at me accusingly. The edge aside my raincoat with the end of her stick. Run away from that school. Did you well... If it's anything like it used to be, I can't say I blame you. But we can't just stand here in the rain, can we? You'd better come inside. We'll give him some tea, shall we, Jack? Don't you worry about Jack. He's all bark and no bite. Looking at Jack, I found that hard to believe. I don't know why, but I ever, never for one moment 
thought of running off. I often wonder later why I went with her so readily. I think it was because she expected me to weld me to somehow. I followed the old lady and her dog up to the house, which was a huge as huge as my school. It looked as if it had grown out of the ground. There was hardly a brick or stone or a tile to be seen. The entire building was smoothed in red creeper and there were a dozen ivy-clad chimneys sprouting skywards from the roof. We sat down close to the stove in the west watered kitchen. This kitchen always the warmest place, she said, opening the oven door. We'll have we'll have you dry in no time, scones. She went on bending down with some difficulty and reaching inside. I always have scones on a Sunday and tea to wash it down. All right for you. She went on chatting away as she busied herself with the kettle of and the teapot. The dog eyed me all the while from his basket and blinking. I was just thinking, she said, you will be the first young man I, I, I have got, I have had inside this house since Bertie. She was silent for a while. The smell of the scrones raft through the kitchen. I ate three before I even touched my teeth. They were sweet and crumbly. And school went with melting butter. She talked on merrily again to me. The dog, I wasn't sure which. I wasn't really listening. I was looking out of the window behind her. The sun was bursting through the clouds and lighting the hillside a perfect rainbow arched to the sky. But miraculous though it was, it was, it wasn't the rainbow that fascinated me. Somehow the clouds were casting a strange shadow over the hillside. A shadow the shape of a line roaring like the one over the archway. Suns come out, said the old lady offering me another scone. I took it eagerly, always does you know it may be difficult to remember sometimes. But there is always a sun behind the clouds and the clouds to go in the end honestly. She watched me eat a smile on her face that warned me to the bone. Don't think I want you to go because I don't. Nice to see a boy eat so well. Nice to have a company but all the same i i'd better get you back to school after you had your tea hand inside 
you'll only be in trouble otherwise mustn't run off you know you've got to stick it out see things through do what's got to be done no matter what she was looking out of the window as she spoke my birdie taught me that bless him or maybe i taught him i can't remember now and she went on talking and talking but my mind was elsewhere again the line on the hillside was still there but now he was blue and shimmering in the sun light it was as if he were breathing as if he were alive it wasn't a shadow anymore no shadow is blue no you're not seeing things the old lady whispered it's not magic he's real enough he's a lion bertie and mine bertie and mine he's a butterfly lion what do you mean i asked she looked at me long and hard i'll tell you if you like she said would you like to know would you really like to know i nodded have another scone first and another another cup of tea then i'll take take you to africa where a lion came from where my bertie came from too bit of a story i can tell you ever been to africa no i replied well you're going now she said we are going we are both going suddenly i wasn't hungry anymore all i wanted now was to hear her story she, she sat back in her chair gazing out of the window she told me it slowly thinking before each sentence and all the while she never took her eyes of the butterfly lion and neither did i thank you chapter 3 timpavati betty was born in south africa in a remote farmhouse near a place called timpavati it was shortly after betty first started to walk that his mother and father decided a fence must be put around the farmhouse to make a compound where betty could play in safety it wouldn't keep the snakes out nothing could do that but at least betty would be safe now from the leopards and the lions and the spotted hyenas enclosed within the compound where the lawn and gardens at the front of the house and the stables and barns at the back all in the room a child would need or what you might think but not betty the farm stretched as far as the eye could see in all direction 20000 acres of wealth betty's father farmed cattle but times were hard the rains had failed too often and many of the rivers and water holes had all but dried up with fever wild beast and impala to prey on the lions and leopards would sneak upon the cattle whenever they could so betty's father was more often than not away from home with his men guarding the cattle 
Every time he left, he had said the same thing. Don't you ever open that gate, Betty, you hear me? There's lion out there, leopards, elephants, hyenas. You stay put, you hear? Betty would stand at the fence and watch him ride out and he would be left behind with his mother, who was also his teacher. There were no schools for a hundred miles. And his mother, too, was always warning him to stay inside the fence. Look what happened in Peter and the Wolf, she would say. His mother was often sick with malaria. And even when she wasn't sick, she would be listless and sad. There were good days. Days when she would play the piano for him and play hide and seek around the compound. Or he had sit on her lap on the sofa out on the veranda and she had just talk and talk all about her home in England, about how much she hated the wildness and the loneliness of Africa and about how Betty was everything to her. But there were rare days. Every morning he had climbed into her bed and snuggled up to her, hoping against hope that today she had been well and happy, but so often she wasn't. And Betty would be left on his own again to his own devices. There was a water hole downhill from the farmhouse and some distance away. The water hole, when there was water in it, became Betty's whole world. He would spend hours in the dusty compound, his hands gripping the fins, looking out at the wonders of the world at the giraffes, drinking spread legged at the water hole at the browsing impella, tails twitching a lot, at the watang snorting and snuffling under the shade of the shingai trees, at the baboons, the zebras, the wild beasts and the elephants parting in the mud. But the moment Betty always longed for was when a pride of lions came padding out on the wet. The impella were the first to spring away, then the Zebra would panic and gallop off. Within seconds, the lions would have the water hole to themselves and they would crush to drink. From the safe haven of the compound, Betty looked and learned as he grew up. By now, he could climb the trees by the farmhouse and tie in its branch. He could see better from up there. He would wait for his lions for hours on ends. He got to know the life of the waterhole so well that he could feel the lions were out there even before he saw them. But he had no friends to play with, but he always said he was never lonely as a child. At night, he loved reading his books and, and losing himself in the stories, and by day his heart were was out in the world with the animals. That was where he yearned to be. Whenever his mother was well enough, he would beg her to take him outside the compound, but her answer was always the same. I can't bet. Your father has forbidden it, she had said. And that was that. The men would come home with their stories of the world, of the family of cheetah, sitting like st- Internals on the couch of the leopard that had spotted tie in his tree ladder watching 
over her skill of the highness they had driven off of the head of elephants which had stumped the cattle and Betty would listen wide-eyed or gawk. Again and again he asked his father if he could go with him to help guard the cattle. His father just laughed, patted his head and said it was man's work. He did teach Betty how to write and how to shoot too, but always within the confines of the compound. Week in, week out, Betty had to stay behind his fence. He made up his mind, though, that if no one would take him out into the well, then one day he would go by himself. But something always held him back. Perhaps it was one of those tales he had been told of black mamba snakes who bite would kill you within 10 minutes of hyenas whose jaws could crunch you to buy the vulture who would finish off anything that was left so that no one would ever find even the bits for the time being he stayed behind the fence but the more he grew up the more his compound became a prison to him one evening Betty must have been about six years old by now. He was sitting high up in his branches of his tree, hoping against hope the lion might come down for their sunset drink as they often did. He was thinking of giving up, for it would soon soon be too dark to see how much. When he saw a solitary lioness came down to the water hole, then he saw that she was not alone behind her and on unsteady legs came what looked like a lion cub but it was white, glowing white in the gathering gloom of dusk. While the lion drank the cup, played at catching her tail and then when she had sat, had her fill, Two of them slipped away into the long grass and were gone. Betty ran inside, screaming with excitement. He had to tell someone, anyone. He found his father working at his desk. Impossible, said his father. You are seeing things that aren't there, or you are telling fibs. One of the two. I saw him. I promise. Betty insisted, but his father would have none of it and sent him to his room of arguing. His mother came to see him later. Anyone can make a mistake, Betty dear, she said. It must have been the sunset. It plays tricks with your eyes sometimes. There is no such thing as a white line. The next evening, Betty watched again at the fence. But the wild lion cub and the lioness did not come, nor did they the next evening, nor the next. But he began to think he must have been dreaming it. A week or more passed, and there had been only a few zebras and wild bees. Down at the water hole, Betty was already upstairs in his bed when he heard his father riding into the compound. And then the stamp of his heavy boots on the veranda. We got her! We got her! He was saying. Huge line is massive, she was. She's taken half a dozen 
been of my best cattle in the last two weeks. Well, she won't be taking any more. Betty's heart stopped. In that one terrible moment, he knew which Linus his father was talking about. There could be no doubt about it. His white line up had been often. But what if, Betty's mother was saying, what if she had young ones to feed? Perhaps they were starving. So would we be if we get it go on? We have to shoot her, her father retorted. Betty lay there all night listening to the plan to or echoing through the veld as if every line in Africa was sounding alarmed. He turned his face into his pillow and could think of nothing but the often white cup and he promised himself there and then that if ever the cup came down through the water hole looking for his dead mother, then he would do what he had never dared to do. He would open the gate and go out and bring him home. He would not let him die out there all alone, but no lion cup came to his water hole all day. Every day he waited for him to come, but he never came. Thank you.